Hey, Jared, it is finally November. Yes, it is. Man, this year has flown by. I don't know about you, but it's how, flown by for me. How many pumpkin spice latte things did you have? I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> we, we actually get, um, so uh, we get silk creamer, okay? Uh-huh, yeah, so yep. Silk brand creamer. Yep. And they have a pumpkin spice one. And I, I, I am a basic, basic guy, okay? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I You're actually... not into the mocha frappe latte, choco mocha latte... Uh... No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I like what I like. And I know, I know it's kind of uh, overdone to a lot of people, but not to me. I love pumpkin spice. And conversely, I love thanksgiving too which is right around the corner indeed so uh you got any uh big plans coming up for the holidays uh no no not, no not really we um so my wife is a nurse she is mm-hmm. a a neonatal intensive care unit aka NICU nurse so she takes care of all the like super teeny tiny premature or very sick little babies newborn babies and as a nurse, she then is required, you know, the hospitals do not close on the holidays. And so as such, she is required to work certain holidays. They mm. they tend to rotate it. So mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. every year you either have this set or that set of holidays. And so this year she is working on Thanksgiving and on New Year's and she's off okay. for Christmas. Okay. So that's how that's how her hospital handles the holidays so she'll be working uh thanksgiving thursday and black friday and then she'll be working new year's eve and new year's day uh but she will not be working christmas eve and christmas day that sort of that very much limits what we can do around thanksgiving in terms of planning any trips or anything because the rest of our family who lives here in southwest florida they have a tradition of every year they spend thanksgiving in Illinois, where my wife's larger family is from, right. and so they all go up there. So on the every other year when uh, my wife works Thanksgiving, we just we just sort of do a quiet family, just the six of us at home, chilling, keeping it simple, not really uh, anything elaborate. How about okay. you? Uh, well, we've got family coming in for Thanksgiving, but uh, I am on call for Thanksgiving. Oh. But it, uh, I'll tell you that. The vast majority of the work that we do is is like large commercial stuff. So Thanksgiving, most places aren't even open. And by way of reminder, Jeremy is an HVAC technician yeah. who here in Southwest Florida doesn't have a lot of call for heating, <laughs> but spends so, the the entire year doing uh, doing working on air conditioning systems, which is fairly essential here yes. in our uh, sub equatorial <laughs> jungle climate <laughs> <laughs> I'm not expecting a whole lot and and for the nerds I, I know we're not actually below the equator don't worry about it, it you know if, if you've if you've been here any appreciable amount of time it feels like you are below the equator <laughs> you know I mean we have like two months of not summer and uh, winter occurs on the second Tuesday of February between <laughs> the hours of 7 a.m. and 2 p.m. So, I mean, it, we, we, we schedule it here. It's because... practically a holiday. Yeah. We, we all, yeah. you know, everything shuts down. We all go outside. 
We breathe deeply of the crisp, chill air. Yes, that the, the college girls put on their Uggs and their parkas. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but uh, it, it is not uncommon here to have your air conditioning running on Thanksgiving or even Christmas. So, you know, it is really a sight to behold seeing palm trees wrapped with Christmas lights. That has been that has been one of uh, I I really enjoy that frankly and so do my kids yeah. they they we uh, when we we live on a street where the entire street is lined with royal palms right and so the pretty much the whole street the front uh, along the the street in front of all the houses each house has like two or three of these giant royal palms um, we moved into the corner of that street the front corner of it. And uh, as such, felt it our civic duty to follow suit and plant uh, royal palms across the front of our house. However, because we are not uh, ridiculously wealthy, we could not afford to buy giant tall royal palms. Instead, um, neighbors down the street from us actually uh, did a stint uh, raising, like, like cultivating baby palm trees and actually gave us uh, like a half dozen or four, four or five maybe of these baby palm trees and like all but one of them uh, survived being planted in our yard so it's it's kind of funny we have we have this this whole street lined with these giant like three-story tall royal palm trees which is for, for those who don't know, the royal palm is the one that just has the sort of like the the naked, uh, empty uh, uh, trunk oh, yeah. uh, with the with the splash of, of palm fronds at the very top. And so we've got like this street of like three story tall ones and then our little baby ones that are like barely a year old. It's kind of funny. But our, <laughs> our kids, my kids love to wrap those, uh, those trunks adorable. with... The Christmas lights, yeah. <laughs> That's adorable. <clears throat> but uh, since since we're getting into the, the holiday spirit, and holiday spirit always has to have music, Jerry, cue us in with the music. This is Two Guys and a Franchise, episode number 007. Not James Bond, but Star Trek, the next generation quintessential episode, and S6E26, referring to season 6, episode 26, The Descent, part 1. This is kind of exciting because it's the first time we're doing what we're calling a quintessential episode episode type in which Jeremy and myself, Jerry, bring to the podcast what we think of as the quintessential example from this franchise. Because most of the franchises we're talking about are either TV shows or mixed media that have many different parts to it. And so in this case, Star Trek The Next Generation 
there were seven seasons with like 20-something episodes in every season, plus several movies, so there's lots of choices for us to choose from our quintessential. What is the essential? What is the the best, the, the most distilled, the absolute height, <clears throat> uh, paramount example, pardon that pun, of Star Trek The Next Generation? So each of us, host and co-host, will present those examples. Back to our host for this episode, Jeremy. I think I think it's it's really hard to narrow down exactly, you know, if you wanted to point someone in the direction of this is what this show really really is about. And and of course these these kinds of discussions they they go on all the time in in message boards on Reddit, you know, a, a, across the internet and in, in and we decided to get in <laughs> on it too. <laughs> Jerry sort of kind of knows what my quintessential is, but I have no idea what Jerry's is. What is your quintessential Star Trek The Next Generation? When we talked about our origin stories in terms of our relationship with this franchise, Jeremy spoke about how he has watched and re-watched Star Trek The Next Generation over and over again over the years, and so has great familiarity. I will confess to you my brothers and sisters in nerddom, that I, as much as I love Star Trek The Next Generation, I have not re-watched it a whole lot. Part of that was a convenience thing. I am a, an inherently lazy guy. The, the advent of streaming has been huge for me because it puts all of the stuff at just clicks of a remote control. You know, I subscribe to Paramount+. Plus. I now have instant access to every episode of everything Star Trek, which is fantastic. Whereas I did own on DVD seasons of TV shows like Friends and Next Generation and Alias, like with Jennifer Garner, and I would occasionally like, you know, pick a, a season disc and pop it in and, and play the episode, but the, the streaming has really made it so much easier to rewatch so much more of TV. When it came time for us to choose the quintessential episode of Next Gen, I had not rewatched it in so long that I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, how am I gonna do this? What am I gonna do? I did end up watching about a half dozen different Star Trek episodes. To help me do that, I went online in search of some like good episode summaries, because I remember episodes that meant something to me but I didn't necessarily remember exactly which season, which episode number, etc. And so I discovered a wonderful tool that I wanted to share with you, our audience. It is a website called letswatchstartrek.com. And it's literally <laughs> that all spelled out. L-E-T-S-W-A-T-C-H, startrek.com. Letswatchstartrek.com. And it's a fantastic website that takes every Trek show all the different TV shows as well as the I think the movies but I didn't check very closely because I was just looking at TNG but here's what they do and I think it's just amazing and brilliant they the, the website is designed to facilitate those who are not necessarily conversant with or already big fans of a show of of these shows anyway and wants to help someone to 
to get into it. So what they do is on the home page of whichever season, uh, of whichever show they're doing. So in in this case, Star Trek: The Next Generation. On the home page of Next Gen, they would have what they call the taste test, and the taste <laughs> test is where they would list a dozen episodes, maybe less, maybe it was even more like eight or nine episodes that they said watch these episodes. If you like these episodes, you will be a fan of this show, and therefore, and then you might want to get into it more. And then below the taste test, then they started listing every episode of each season. So it's a season one, and they list the episodes, season two, and they list the episodes. And what they did was they ranked all the episodes of the series according to a very simple a number system of one through five. One was completely skippable. Two was a, uh, was, no, one was skip. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> like a command, like skip it, don't watch it. Two was skippable. Three was, let's see, now I don't have it up in front of me and I didn't write it all down. Three was like, okay. Four was watch it. And five was like a must watch, right? right like right. Like the best of the best. They were only there would only be maybe one episode per season that was that they ranked at a five, um, and then some of them they ranked at like a a two or a three. Some of them they ranked at a three with a note continuity, so which was really fun because what that meant was that was an episode that it was important to watch to understand things coming down the road, uh, but not necessarily was an excellent episode unto itself, which right. which I thought was great. With the use of this tool, with the help of this tool then, I that helped me sort of narrow down to identify the, the five or six episodes that I wanted to watch and to choose what I thought was quintessential Trek, all right? So what I chose was I ended up choosing from season three, mm-hmm. episode 10 mm-hmm. of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is a, an episode titled... The Defector. And so let me provide you our uh, our friend Gary K. McD. Gary K. M. Uh, Gary K. M. C. D. A user on IMDb provides this lovely synopsis of Season 3, Episode 10, The Defector. Romulan officer Sub-Lieutenant Setal is found fleeing a Romulan warbird and seeks to defect to the Federation. He informs Captain Picard that a Romulan fleet is amassing and they will soon attack the Federation. Setal doesn't see himself as a traitor, but more someone who abhors unnecessary conflict. As a result, he's a bit short on detail, and both Picard and Starfleet Command are understandably dubious and strongly suspect that he is a plant. When Setal is identified as an admiral, and not a junior officer, their view of him hardens considerably. When they discover weak signals emanating from a planet in the neutral zone, where that fleet was supposed to be amassing, it appears that Setal may in fact be right. In fact, something far more complex is at play. That is the summary from IMDB user Gary K. McDee, which I thought was a nice summary that isn't too spoilery. So I'm immediately going to completely spoil the episode for you. <laughs> so if you don't want to be spoiled, 
Then fast forward about 12 to 15 minutes to move into our next segment So you or, or pause here. Go watch this episode and then come back. That's the better option. Because the rest of the rest of this uh, the rest of this conversation is going to be totally spoilery to the show, <clears throat> because the way it ends in particular is one of the things that I think makes it a quintessential trek. So here I'm going to present my theory of the case as to why the defector is quintessential Star Trek: The Next Generation. First, I the whole episode is what I'm going to refer to as thoughtful, Mm -hmm. right? In other words, instead of, you know, the next gen, one of the things that most strongly differentiated it from the original series was Picard as captain. One of his defining characteristics is being a thoughtful person, being, uh, you know, not being overly impulsive. It's one of the ways in which he and uh, Captain Kirk are most yeah, yeah. different from each other, most uh, contrasting, yeah. right? Kirk and, is very hot-headed. Yeah, yeah, and so this whole episode is a wonderful showcase of how Picard does everything thoughtfully, where he thinks through the options and, and tries to contemplate what's happening, tries to understand what's going on before making any rash decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So second, I think this is quintessential Trek because it features the Romulans. And Next Generation, if there was one, you know, antagonist, villain, one alien species that most regularly uh, came up against the Enterprise in Next Generation, it was the Romulans. And so many of of the best, and kind of not the best, looking at you, Star Trek nemesis, uh, (laughs) had to do with the Romulans, even to the point of the sequel series, part of the sequel series, Star Trek Picard, that yeah. came up, the Romulans are kind of embedded in the backstory yeah. of that oh, series. Yeah. yeah, I think when you're talking about the next generation and you're looking for antagonists, the Romulans are one of the quintessential antagonists. And this episode is all about the Romulans, all about their culture, all about the distrust and the tense and sometimes outright violent relationship the Federation had with the Romulan Star Empire. I also really like this episode because the last time we talked about Next Gen, our Wheel of Random Episode Selection choice had to do with uh, early in Season 3, in which I made comment about all the pieces were in place, but they didn't know what to do with them. By this episode, nine episodes later... Things are really clicking mm. and humming along. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In this episode, the defector, every character gets to be gets to sort of demonstrate their character in wonderful ways. For instance, I've already talked about Picard. Data and Jordy. Data and Jordy have this wonderful scene in engineering in which they're talking about the situation, the current situation of having this Romulan defector on board the Enterprise and not knowing whether he's telling the truth or whether he's just trying to set up the Enterprise or what's happening. And so they have this conversation in which LaForge shares that he thinks the defector is real, that he's actually, that he's telling the truth, and that because the Enterprise is going to go catch the Romulans amassing this fleet... Um, introducing Data to the idiom 
catch him with their pants down, which mm-hmm. confuses Data quite a bit until Jordy explains it. Jordy talks about, you know, Data says, well, how do you know this? There's not enough, there's not enough factual evidence to support this conclusion. Right. And Jordy goes on this whole, they, they have this whole back and forth about what it means <clears throat> to trust your gut, to have an instinct, to just to follow intuition. And it's one of those, and it's it's a it's a wonderful little scene in which Data learns something about what it means to be human. I don't know, Data. My gut tells me we ought to be listening to what this guy's trying to tell us. Your gut? It's just a, a feeling, you know, an instinct, intuition. But those qualities would interfere with rational judgment, would they not? You're right, sometimes they do. Then why not rely strictly on the facts? Because you just can't rely on the plain and simple facts. Sometimes they lie. They can lead to the wrong conclusions, but they cannot lie. Yeah, well, what do you think? Is he a defector or not? The facts to date would lead to the objective conclusion that he is not. Somehow I think we're going to catch the Romulans with their pants down on Nelvana 3, just like he says. With their pants? A metaphor. Catching them in the act. Because your gut tells you so. Exactly. But you can't always go with your gut either. It's, well, it's a combination, Data. All right, I'll put it to you this way. All these feelings that get in the way of human judgment, that confuse the hell out of us, that make us second guess ourselves, well, we need them. We need them to help us fill in the missing pieces because we almost never have all the facts. So a person fills in the missing pieces of the puzzle with his own personality, resulting in a conclusion based as much on instinct and intuition as on fact. Now you're getting it. And Data's whole arc for the whole series of The Next Generation is he wants to be more human because mm-hmm. he was he was created by a human and he looks human. And so his one of his greatest aspirations as a sentient being is to become more human. And so Data and Jordy have this whole listening to your gut instinct thing in which it demonstrates not only that Data becoming human, but also the friendship of Data and Jordy, which was so central to those characters. Uh, Dr. Crusher gets to the Romulan is, is injured, the defector is injured in the shuttle craft damage that it takes on its way to the scout ship, actually, I think it's a scout ship. Um, the scout ship that he flees the the Empire into the new into Federation space uh, and meets up with the Enterprise. His ship is damaged, so he he gets some injuries like to his neck. And Doctor Crusher's healing him in sick bay while some of the uh, bridge crew, while Riker's talking to him, and uh, and he's impressed that Crusher knows some. Uh, some Romulan anatomy and, and physiology, and so is is grateful for her help. I came to stop a war. If you could just hold still. With your metabolism, this will heal in a few moments. Thank you, Doctor. How fortunate that you know something of Romulan medicine. Yes, I had a chance to gain some experience recently. Oh, yes. The incident of the Golondin Corps. And then later is called to the bridge to consult 
about whether or not those injuries might have been self-inflicted because there's all this suspicion. Is the defector real? Is he not? And so one of the questions is, if he's a plant, if he's a spy that's just trying to gain information, try to set up the enterprise to go into the neutral zone so that they'll be the aggressors, you know, then maybe the, the spy did it to himself. And so Crusher's called forth and she acknowledges it could have been self-inflicted, but it was pretty serious. So still not sure. A whole lot of uncertainty. There's a whole lot of like spy uncertainty that runs through this whole episode. Riker gets to be uh, the hard-charging executive officer who is put in charge of the interrogation of the spy who basically like sits in a chair opposite him and yells at him about like, are you a spy? You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and has, has a lot of back and forth on there. Worf doesn't just growl about security concerns, but actually gets to use his Klingon connections in this episode. And I'll come back to that when I finish talking about the plot. The only character who kind of gets a little bit of short shrift is Troy. Deanna Troy is part of the interrogation with Riker. And you would think that her ability to sense whether someone is lying uh, would come into play. But because Romulans are so... Because deceit is like like a core component of the Romulan character. Uh, you know, not this char- individual character, but like the character of the race, of like the, the species, Romulans, because deceit is so baked in, Troy just sort of sits there and stares at him during the interrogation and doesn't get to do a whole lot. The way the episode pans out then is... Ultimately, they send the Enterprise sends a probe to the planet where the defector claims there's a fleet amassing. It comes back with some readings that may indicate a presence there. And therefore, Picard takes the Enterprise into the neutral zone, goes to this planet, and discovers that there is nothing there. There that that they can't explain the readings that they were getting, but the but the planet is uninhabited, there's no fleet present what's going on, and then two Romulan warbirds decloak, sort of surrounding the Enterprise, demanding that the Enterprise surrender because Commander, I think it's Commander Tomalak, who Picard had tangled with in a, in a previous episode at Galorndon Corps, I think. He's like, ha ha, I got you now. You're at a total disadvantage. We're two to one. We have you surrounded. Surrender now so that we can retrieve the traitor who clearly was being tested with disinformation, surrender or be destroyed. And Picard's like, yeah, I'm not surrendering. And Tomalak's like, yeah, I didn't think you were. Prepare to be destroyed. But then, because there were two little indications earlier in the episode, there's this wonderful twist. And it's not often that Next Gen does a a big twist ending. You know, Tomalak says, all right, well, prepare to die. And Picard, like, sits down and sounds all uh, arrogant and says, no, I don't think I'm gonna. <laughs> Commander, speaking to, or, or like, uh, Lieutenant, command, referring to Worf, Worf, uh, you know, pushes a button, and then three Klingon warships decloak, surrounding the Romulan warbirds, so that Tomalak is the one who's now two to one out, outgunned. And Tomalak is like, so we're all gonna, you know, and Picard is like, so are we all gonna die, or are you gonna back off? And so, mm. so the, the Romulans uh, cloak their ships and run away. Test. Test of my loyalty. And you used me. 
to lure the Enterprise into the neutral zone? First, Captain, you will return the traitor Jarok. Then you will surrender as prisoners of war. You seriously expect me to accept those terms? No, Captain Picard. I expect you won't. You have 30 seconds to decide. I do not require one, Tomalock. I urge you, Captain Picard, surrender. Consider the men and women you would lead into a lost cause. If the cause is just and honorable, they are prepared to give their lives. Are you prepared to die today, Tomalock? I expected more from you than an idle threat, Picard. Then you shall have it, Mr. Wolf. Aye, sir. Klingon warships, armed and ready, sir. What shall it be, Tomalok? You will still not survive our assault. You will not survive ours. Shall we die together? I look forward to our next meeting, Captain. Romulan disruptors are powering down, sir. And then what I think, so on the one hand, there is wonderful space strategy and fighting, you know, the fact that the, the warbird, there was a warbird chasing the scout ship through the through the neutral zone at the beginning that took damage and then and then the Enterprise. Jordy had another nice moment where he extended the Enterprise's shields around the scout ship to protect it once it passed into Federation space. So there was some good gunfighting there. And then at the end, we got to see three kinds of starship in space, like facing off against each other. There was a wonderful twist and an adventure. But the episode doesn't end there. It goes forward with the defector having this amazing moment in which he says, it was all for nothing. I did it all for nothing. Because he wasn't a traitor. He thought he was a defector preventing a war because earlier on he asked Picard in the episode, do you have children? I have children, my daughter. Uh, I want my daughter to be raised in peace, not in wartime, because I know the horrors of wartime. So at the very end of the episode, the defector is found dead in his quarters because he had taken uh, a little suicide chip, a little suicide pill or whatever, to kill himself because he wasn't, uh, wasn't a traitor and didn't want to be interrogated for all the Empire secrets. But left behind in his death a letter to his daughter. Picard and Riker are in his quarters looking at his dead body and Riker's like, but he must have known that there's no way we could get this to his daughter. And Picard's response was, right now. But he hoped that there would be a time of peace in which we could deliver it to his daughter. He ingested a Philodiston ship. He must have brought it with him. I'm sorry, Captain. There was no antidote. A letter to his wife and daughter. 
Sir, he must have known it would be impossible for us to deliver it. Today, perhaps. But if there are others with the courage of Admiral Jarok, we may hope to see a day of peace when we can take his letter home. quintessential trek the idea that that we are smart enough to prepare for and to be ready for a fight when it's necessary but we do everything we can to avoid it in the hope that peace might reign i think that is quintessential star mm-hmm. trek and the fact that not all sunny happy it was there was tragedy there was real there was death there was actual death of uh, in the episode that is my my argument that <laughs> season three, episode ten, the defector, is quintessential Star Trek: The Next Generation. I, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen that episode, but I do remember that episode, and it, it you you made a very very good case. <laughs> My, for what I believe is the most quintessential uh, of Star Trek, the Next Generation episodes. Part of this is, uh, it's it's born out of, you know, Gene Roddenberry's ability to tell a story. Finally having a platform where he could tell the story the way he really, really wanted it that was pictured in his head. He could do that with Star Trek, the Next Generation, where he may not have necessarily been able to do it the way he wanted to in the series and a lot of that was you know due to budgetary concerns and and technical uh issues things like that but this one um uh it's actually not one episode it's two episodes and it isn't season three amazing how they they take you know this this it's really where they get into their own in season three and this one is is season three the the final episode in the beginning of season four it is uh, the best of both worlds, mm. part one and two. Number one, the best of both worlds, part one and two. Otherwise known as how my dad traumatized me as a child. Probably, nay, scratch that, the greatest episode in the entire Star Trek franchise. And ranked by TV Guide as one of the top 100 television episodes of all time. The Borg ship we encountered a year prior finally enters into Federation space, months ahead of their estimated arrival. Destroying a Federation colony and several starships, the Borg make it perfectly clear that their presence is a deliberate act of war. After a game of cat and mouse with the Enterprise, the Borg manage to board the ship and kidnap Captain Picard before heading for their primary target, Sector 001, Earth. As Geordi and Wesley construct a superweapon to destroy them before they reach Earth, an away team is sent to the Borg ship to retrieve the captive captain, only to find out that he has been assimilated. Left with no other choice, when the away team returns, Riker is forced to open fire on the Borg ship, with Picard still aboard, and thus began the longest summer of Trekkies' lives. Flash forward three months and the weapon fails, 
Picard's memories have been probed, preparing the Borg for an adequate defense against the superweapon. Worf and Data emerge aboard the Borg ship and retrieve the captain after obliterating the entire Federation fleet at Wolf 359. Somewhere in the wreckage, the now widowed Lieutenant Commander Sisko and his son make their escape, as seen in the opening of Deep Space Nine. And while the Enterprise takes heavy damage in the firefight above Earth, Data uses the captain's connection to the Hive to implant a self-destruct sequence in the Borg ship. It is, without a doubt, the best episode of Star Trek ever, and in terms of television, it is one of the greatest television episodes of all time. It loses nothing, no matter how many times you watch it. And that's our list. Did we miss your favourite episode? Share your own picks in the comments below. And just as a reminder, this list was originally 25 episodes, and I've put a link to the article in the description below, if you want to go on even more of a deep dive. Don't forget to follow What Culture Sci-Fi on Twitter if you haven't already for more premier nerd content. Why not follow me as well? Edit Chris Edit. I've been Chris from What Culture. Be excellent to each other. I, I like it uh, because I think it, it really makes the case for what quintessential Star Trek is because it brings so many elements of what the stories are and it's also something that it drew on previous uh, uh, episodes even ac actually hearkening back to the very first episode mm -hmm. where yep. uh, where Q takes them and launches them you know uh, many 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 light years away and they encounter the Borg. Mm -hmm. Q essentially says, see, this is your future. This is what you have to look forward to if you keep gallivanting around the stars, uh, you know, as cavalier as you are, and, and as flawed as you humans are and deserving of death that, that you, you humans are, you're gonna face this and you're not gonna win. Okay, back to whatever it was you were doing now. And, and you know, so now they are faced with with the board and it's not just you know the that the enterprise is unprepared that the crew is unprepared it's that the entirety of humanity is unprepared for this this looming it, it, it goes beyond a crisis it is really a, a, a complete existential threat by the board it's easy to look at the Borg and say, you know what? They are the antagonist. They are the bad guy. All they want to do is destroy. When actually the, the Borg are so complex for, for having no culture, they are so complex because they don't seek to destroy necessarily. They seek to bring everything into their fold not out of anything other than just uh, almost an instinct of self-preservation. It, it's not because they believe that they're right. It's, it's something more primal than that. They're not the bad guy. They are just a guy. <laughs> if, if, you were, if you were gonna put a, a point on it and not, not a fine point, they're not an enemy to be destroyed the same way that the Romulans or the Cardassians are. They don't have ulterior motives, at least at this point. There is no good or bad about them except for the fact that they are this existential threat to humanity. In a certain sense, they're almost more animalistic. You know, in a, in a certain sense, it's kind of... Because if you think about animals, animals 
run on instinct, the instinct, uh, the when we talk about animal instinct, one of those prime drives that we see in an animal is reproduction, right? Right. And, and to right. perpetuate the and. And to perpetuate the species and through instinct that perpetuation of species through evolution is an improvement you know the species right. is improved through uh, through the evolution through reproduction and in a certain sense that's exactly what the Borg is all about just technologically you know the, yeah. the Borg's motto is you know we will assimilate your your biological and technological uniqueness into our own to make to continue to grow and improve their collective is sort of is sort of like that. It's not that it's it, you know there's nothing personal about the Borg. I would I would even argue that it's even more primal than that though because animals have a, a an instinct of self-preservation. Okay? Whereas the Borg they they don't feel fear. They're not afraid for their own existence. Their own existence is is you know, virtually unimportant in the grand scheme. As of an individual. So, as an individual. The unit. Yes. The, yeah, so, the actual unit. So because more, they exist as that collective. It's That's one of the like things a, that made uh, them so yes. horrifying and scary. Exactly. As, a, exactly. as an enemy was because each of the each of the creatures, the individual creatures that would attack or that would that populate the ship or whatever, even the ships themselves are, are not the, right, are not. Uh, are not individuals to protect or preserve themselves. They are merely part of the larger collective, yes. and it's the existence, the benefit of the entire collective. So you kill a drone, which is what they they're called. You kill a drone. It doesn't. They don't care. They right. don't care at all because the drone is not the Borg. The collective is the Borg. Yes. The whole thing. You could destroy that ship, and it doesn't no. matter because there's more ships because that's the collective. The the reason the way I think this 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 particular set of episodes is so quintessential to it is because it also shows it's almost like a bacterial colony mm. you know mm. that because an individual bacterial colony does not care about that one individual bacteria it is the whole doing its thing and even if, when you take they, they did uh, studies on slime molds for instance where they will have uh, a, a path you know or a maze where at one end they have the slime mold and at the other end they have like a little bit of food and the slime mold will like arc its way around as a whole or as part of it to to finally make its way to that that food it it's it's that's very much what the borg is at this point however you can start to see even the the i hate to say the character development in the borg where they they formulate this plan where they they take a human, a very, very influential human, arguably one of the most influential people in the entirety of Starfleet, because this their really their only interaction has been with the Enterprise and a few other ships, but not Starfleet as a whole. So they see this 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 uh, person who is commanding the flagship. Uh, the idea to bring him in and make him the Borg's spokesperson take away. Uh, enough of his humanity where he becomes we, but not so much of his humanity. He doesn't have a name. We are Locutus of Borg. Sir, we are being hailed by the Borg. On screen.
computers are born. Resistance is futile. Your life as it has been is over. From this time forward, you will service us. Mr. Worf, fire. And it's it's the that growth in the Borg. Humanity is faced with this threat where the Borg has now taken the spokesperson and has has now headed towards Earth, Sector 001. And in order to protect the the human home world, they have to stop the Borg. In doing so, they recognize that look, this this could completely and everything that we know. They then kidnap Locutus because he's not Picard at that point. He really isn't Picard. They kidnap Locutus, bring him back, sever that connection with the understanding that it could very well kill him. Try and bring a little bit of humanity and push that back into the Borg. And it, it becomes less of a struggle of a bacterial colony or this this primal colony fighting against the entirety of humanity the very nature of humanity pushing back against something that is decidedly not human and the fact that they also use this to set the stage for really almost everything following in Star Trek The Next Generation on through the movies to Picard it's uh, there is so much in that struggle between a, a non-individual colony and with human individuality that that it, it pushes back and forth and back and forth throughout the rest of the series and arguably throughout the rest of Star Trek now. At this point, we need to talk about our Wheel of Random Episode Selection discussion. And uh, this week we have Season 6, Episode 26, which is uh, Descent. The Descent. The Descent. <laughs> well, that's, that's funny because Internet Movie Database calls it just Descent. We're, we're going to go into a little bit of info facts on Descent. Uh, it aired June 21st, 1993. There were some notable uh, uh, guest stars. Uh, John Neville was Isaac Newton. Jim Norton played Albert Einstein. We had a special guest appearance by Stephen Hawking. Uh, and, and in the, the beginning of the episode... Uh, it was directed by Alexander Singer. The writers were Gene Roddenberry, Ronald D. Moore, and Jerry Taylor. We have, of course, the the usual uh, Patrick Stewart as Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Jonathan Frakes as Commander William 
Riker. LeVar Burton as Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge. Michael Dorn as Lieutenant Worf. Gates McFadden. Oh. <laughs> Dr. Beverly Crusher. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> Marina Sirtis is Counselor Deanna Troy. I don't think you are. <laughs> you know what? She was gorgeous in, in The Next Generation, okay? Brent Spiner's Lieutenant Commander Dater. Data. <laughs> Dater. <laughs> A long, long descendant of Mater, the tow truck. <laughs> Commander Dater. <laughs> I think we're having way too much fun with this. A brief synopsis on Star Trek The Next Generation, episode uh, 26 of season 6. The Descent. After an encounter with the Borg, Data feels his first emotion when he gets angry with the Borg. Then Data tries to find ways to recreate the situation in order to feel emotions again, while the Enterprise investigates the Borg activity and are bewildered as to why they feel emotions too. If, if there was anything that was, uh, you could call as quintessential as farther down in the series, the, the Descent Part 1 and 2 would be it, honestly. Because it not only, you know, was completely set up by season three's uh, finale and season four's um, opening episode, but this also brought in several other bits of things that 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 were part of Star Trek: The Next Generation lore. Lore. <laughs> spoiler alert! The spoiler alert! Um, that that. Uh, they played a huge role later on in the series too. Well, let's well, talk a minute though yes. about the the elephant in this uh, wheel selection. Yes, which is uh, it's a season finale. It is. It it's is a, a part cl- one of part two. It is so a season yes. seven, episode one is the descent part two. Yes, it's really a half of a story. It is half a story. And and as such, it's it's a little bit difficult to discuss individually, separated from the other half, because basically, unlike the episode I talked about, The Defector, mm-hmm. where there was a mystery and a resolution of that mystery right, right. within the same episode, this episode that the wheel gave us is just the mystery. Because yes. what happens is, you know, all this weird, unexplainable stuff happens, and then it's like... We'll give you the answers in three months. See, you. have a nice rest of right? your summer. Yeah. You know, it was the it was the season <laughs> oh, finale. God, I love I, I, I remember being like so angry at this kind of finale. Gone <laughs> because this this episode was, if anything, it was a quintessential ep- example of network television season oh, finales yes. yeah. of that time for for forever the whole idea of the cliffhanger season finale the thing that would make certain that you came back and tuned back in uh to the next season even though it would be months several months down the road and this one is egregious in that because (laughs) basically there is no hint as to what in the world is happening there is, you know, Data suddenly has emotion out of nowhere. The Borg are acting totally unborg-like. At the end of the episode, Data decides to uh, run off with a shuttlecraft, freeing the captive weird Borg that they had from the encounter at this at this uh, starbase or whatever, and 
And that's it. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> There's but, no explanation for anything. And it isn't even until the next episode that we find out the other main character. No, they, they actually do introduce him at the very, very end of the episode. Is it? Yeah, yeah. You know, they're in their that temple building there. Yeah, but that they, doesn't happen until the next episode. No, it happens at the very end. Really? Because, yes, because you have this. I this will guy. confess, my friends, I I watched both episodes, and so. I, so so you see this this person that looks like Data. Yeah. Dressed in all black. Oh, I remember the there. scene. Yeah. Troy is and, like, that's not Data, and he's, and like, he's like, you should right. listen to her, Captain. Yeah. She's way ahead and, of you. Data. That's not data. What? You should listen to her, Captain. She's way ahead of you. No. Right. And I'm not alone. The sons of Sung have joined together. And together, we will destroy the Federation. Then Data walks out right next yeah. to him. Yeah. And it's lore. You know? And, and that's where it drops that's the That's where it drops the episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So I that's because a little I made bit a point, better. It's a little bit better I, than I thought. I made a point when when we did this to stick true to this. Uh-huh. To stick true to the one episode. Okay. And, and I did that so that I could focus on specifically this episode without right. trying to, you know get confused about what happened in what episode. Like I just did. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for pointing it out. Okay, you're, go ahead. You're welcome. <laughs> Anytime, Jer. But one of the things that if if you had been watching the series up until that point, when you see the Borg behaving differently, the first thing that comes to your mind, the first thing that came to my mind was Hugh. Absolutely, but that and depends on a lot of previous knowledge, and, right, and that right. aspect, and that aspect, uh, is a lot of what is discussed in the next yes. episode. Well, they they do they do touch on it in uh, when they're in the ready room trying to discuss what's going on and, and what to do with this Borg prisoner, and the fact that Data is trying to understand what's going on at the same. Mm-hmm. Data isn't part of those that conversation, mm-hmm. really. That's right. Data's in the holodeck, you know, no, stop, no, <laughs> stop, 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 stop. Trying to, to build that To bring emotion. back whatever yes, the heck it was. it was. Yeah. And then you, you see this foreshadowing with his discussion with Troy as well. What it means to be a good person or to be an evil person. You know, what if I enjoyed harming that Borg? Does that make me a bad person? I think overall the episode held up really, really well in the the overall story of Star Trek. And it also kind of held up well as good television. The one part that really kind of got me, though, that, that this is why Deanna Troy is not my favorite, one of my favorite characters. Uh-huh. But when she's having that discussion with Data and Data's, you know, said, I, you know, I felt satisfaction. Yeah. And she goes, Leisure. Uh, you know, like this, like, oh no, oh no, Data's an evil person after all. I see. I didn't take it that way. I, I took I it as see. I think the director. I think that was all about the direction because that yeah. was about the commercial break. Yeah, because it, because it, because she had to have some reaction. 
to go into commercial break. Right. And to leave us to think about during the commercials because, you know, all these shows had commercials and so that's this why is, this it fades is, to black. Good good point. Good point. But I mean it was But see I, I don't think it was her best acting moment there. Well, that was not yeah. that was not the I'm ready for my close up director moment. I personally didn't I didn't I didn't care for I I really liked the fact that they had that conversation. Yes. And they talked about well, Data, there's not really negative emotions and positive emotions. All emotions, you know, they serve a purpose are. and they, they just, just are. are. Yeah. And it's our choices and what we do with those emotions that define our character, that right. determine whether we are good or bad, which I thought was fantastic. But then the rest of the episode, they almost let that go. Almost from the moment that you interpreted her look as like, Oh, he took pleasure in killing. Yeah. Then he, yeah. you know, there was the there was the potential implication that he was bad, and then for the rest of the the episode and and the next one as well, it talked about emotion. Uh, it talked about negative emotions being negative emotions. I, I did not enjoy these episodes as much as Best of Both Worlds or even Defector or other ones that we might claim to be quintessential because the when you said the one thing that drove you nuts. And then you went to Troy's expression. I was I was wondering if you were gonna go where I went because there was one thing about this these, this episode that really drove me nuts, and that is, what the hell is Picard doing emptying the ship with search crew parties that, across oh, an unknown yeah. planet when there is a, 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 a when when the fleet is mobilized against a potential existential threat in, in represented by this Borg ship. That's like, true. Yeah. I did not understand the logic that, of that, that was, at all. It was yeah. it felt to me like this was just a way to allow the 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 simultaneous storylines of uh, of crew members captured by lore and then to be freed by lore as well as to allow Beverly and the and the the lower deckers or the the more junior officers to get a highlighted sort of thing where they're going to pull out of the archives the Geordi project on metaphysic shielding and and hide in the sun, you know, to give them sort of to give Crusher a a, a day in the sun, so to speak, uh, <laughs> uh, in the episode. That was probably in episode two, but uh, but I did agree with you about that. It's that it's quintessential Trek in that it draws from multiple strands of past mm-hmm. Trek. Lore, Hugh, Borg, all of that is is drawing out of its own history. And the things that it establishes then become strands for future things. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, the disassembly of Lore, the, um, the, uh, the fact that the Borg ship that Lore is using with his Borg that he stole from Hugh used transwarp conduits. That becomes a monster plot point in mm. Star Trek Voyager, yes, and and how you know and and that whole TV show, and so in that way, I do I did really appreciate and enjoy the season yeah. finale and premiere episode uh, idea part of Star Trek where it it draws from its own history and then plant seeds that then germinate later in the in the show. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. That whole that whole search party thing was definitely out of character for. It felt almost like a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. A, yeah. As in, you know, it, they they used it as a plot device. Yeah. As a, and, I tell you, but it was yeah, inappropriate. It felt like a total plot device. Yeah. yeah. You're definitely Absolutely. right. You're definitely right. 
fun segment here. I thought I would do something a little different because we've done a lot of quizzes and everything, testing each other's knowledge, which I think is a heck of a lot of fun. You know, especially when we... <laughs> when especially we get... when you're, you're testing me on something I know nothing about. But go ahead. It's a, it's... <laughs> I think it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I think we would, we would hearken back to um, our late night talk show host, Top ten list. Ooh, David Ooh. Letterman. David Letterman. Yeah. Bit the top ten list. Go for was it. Was it? Was it Letterman that it was started? Letterman. Did oh, top not, tens. not Jimmy yeah. Carson. Okay. Yeah. Now this is a list I found. I may not necessarily agree with a hundred percent of it, but I do agree that these are some pretty doggone funny episodes in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Starting in at number ten. So what is this? The top ten of? Top ten funniest. Star Trek Next Generation. Yes. Okay, all right, good. Now, I think this actually should probably be much farther down the list. Okay. But they have at number 10, Fist Full of Datas, <laughs> Season 6, Episode 8. Quick synopsis they do a spaghetti western on the holodeck, and it is hilarious. You know, hilarity ensues, and it is everything that you would expect from Data trying to play a. a, a Wild West character. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh-huh. um, I'll read the uh, the quick synopsis here. Taking on the tropes of classic spaghetti westerns like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and Fistful of Dollars, its namesake, this episode places Worf, Deanna, and Data in the American Old West after a power surge to Data's programming affects a holodeck activity that Worf is participating in with the sun. While Jordy attempts to make Data into a sort of systems backup in case anything goes wrong with a ship's computer, Data becomes part of the Deadwood. South Dakota uh, holodeck adventure is Frank, an outlaw who takes on a town sheriff Worf and, De- and Deanna as a gunslinger. More characters take on Data's appearance and skills, including a saloon girl, to much hilarity. And it really is funny seeing Brent Spiner dressed up as a saloon girl. Coming in at number nine, Deja Q, season three, episode 13. Episode 13. Deja Q? The Enterprise has serious matters to attend to when the planet Brielle 4 faces an asteroid moon falling from orbit. So, of course, it's the perfect time for Q to arrive naked on the bridge because he's been stripped of his powers by the Continuum for causing too much mayhem in the universe. Now a human asking for asylum, Q is at Picard's mercy who will only help him if Q helps them with the Brielle 4 catastrophe. When Q gets his power reinstated, he reappears on the bridge with a mariachi band and women for Riker. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? John Delancey is amazing. Oh, yes. He, he, there's... You know, we're, we're in the quintessential episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and... I think there is also an argument to be made that Encounter at Farpoint, the two-hour oh, yes. pilot, is kind of quintessential next-gen because practically everything is there. I yeah. mean, Q is there. Mm-hmm. The Borg is there. All seven of our main characters are there. You know, it's 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 a mystery. It's, it's, a, it's a sacrifice for the good of another living creature, even one that is different. Encounter at Farpoint kind of has it all. I mean, oh, it's, yeah, it's probably yeah. one of the reasons why the series began to such a claim and was as successful as it was because that the 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 pilot was so good. 
Coming in at number eight is Cupid. That's Q-P-I-D. That is season four, episode 20. This episode is a trifecta of fun. It involves Vash, the hot-headed treasure hunter that caught Captain Picard's eye on his oh, vacation gosh. to Risa, a bored and mischievous Q, and a fantasy adventure. As the Enterprise hosts ar an archaeological symposium, Vash and Picard are reunited, but Q makes three a crowd. He offers to rekindle the romance they had thanks to Picard's help returning his immortal powers. Uh, Picard rebuffs Q at first, causing Q to have to resort to stronger measures. He transforms Picard into Robin Hood and Vash into his lady love, Maid Marian. Several members of the crew include Worf, Data, and Riker are transformed into his merry men to their extreme dissatisfaction, including Worf's line, I am not a merry or merry man. Sir, I protest, I am not a merry man. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is classic next gen fun, right? Definitely. There. Absolutely. Coming in at where are we? Number seven? Number seven. Number seven, Data's Day. Uh, coming in from season four, episode number 11. Episodes concerning Data's study of humankind and his quest to adopt the affections of human humans have led to some of the most emotional episodes on TNG, including the most hilarious. The episode Data's Day focuses on his internal monologue as he goes about his various tasks and interactions. His friend Keiko Ishigawa and transporter chief Miles O'Brien are soon to be married, and Data has to learn all about prenuptial jitters as well as tap and ballroom dancing. Though it's touching whenever Data tries to understand the complexities of human emotions, the episodes focused on the practice are often unintentionally funny. I love that episode. It's so much fun. It's just and sweet. I, I, the whole, the wedding preparation and Data wanting to be so, so part of it and prepared for it. I know it plays a lot on that TV trope of, you know, like, uh, this is my day kind of thing. But honestly, it's a good, solid episode. And coming in at number six, The Naked Now, season one, episode three. <laughs> this is another one that, that I think of when I remember back watching it uh, as it came out. Using a similar plot to one of Gene Roddenberry's unaired teleplays for Star Trek, the crew fall victim to a strange ailment when they respond to a distress call from the SSS Tchaikovsky, a vessel undergoing scientific monitoring of a supergiant star. This episode for Star Trek fans who love to see a strange temporal anomaly or use an unexplainable dimensional rift causing crew members to act completely differently than normal. We see someone showering with their clothes on, Wesley acting intoxicated, and Data experiences first intimate encounter with Chief of Security Tasha Yar. At the end, everyone goes back to normal as though it were all a bad dream. One of the things I remember about this episode is this was one of the very first episodes, period, but it also kind of showed that, that bit of tension between Dr. Crusher and Captain Picard when Dr. Crusher kind of corners him, and, and I remember this very clearly, Captain Picard going, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he's getting flustered uh -huh. by this. Uh -huh. You know what the infection is? <laughs> Come on, quickly. <laughs> Sorry. It is definitely like alcohol intoxication. The same lack of good judgment, for example, Right now, I find you extremely 
Extremely. Of course, we haven't time for that sort of thing. What sort of thing? Oh, God, would I love to show you. Doctor, there must be a cure, some formula. <laughs> Similar to the old one. Damn it, damn it, Captain. My dear Captain. You owe me something. You do realize that, don't you? I'm a woman. I haven't had the comfort of a husband, a man. And and uh, yeah, actually, it is it is a pretty funny episode. I think it's it's classic humor, a la Star Trek: The Next Generation. Absolutely, absolutely. But also, like so much of Trek, it plants seeds for future for future things. Like later in season two, uh, there's an episode called "The Measure of a Man," which was one of my solid, strong candidates for quintessential Trek, in which Picard has to defend Data's basically his right to personhood mm -hmm. and that he is not the property of Starfleet because he's an android, but he is a person. And one of the things that Picard uses to demonstrate his personhood is that data among his mementos that he was packing to leave the ship because he was trying to quit because he didn't want to be experimented upon by a Starfleet engineer was a, a little hologram of Tasha Yar. Uh, with whom he was intimate, and and they referenced that in that episode, The Measure of a Man. He, he is fully functional. All right, coming in at number five, In Theory, season four, episode 25. In Theory, while Data didn't have extensive experience in the realm of romance, he felt it was a vital part of unlocking the full comprehension of human existence and thus pursued it wherever it seemed appropriate. In In Theory, he begins a relationship with a fellow crew member, Jenna DeSora, much to the rest of the crew's confusion. This episode is amusing on several levels as Data attempts to be, quote, the perfect boyfriend, end quote, and then, at Jenna's behest, whatever type of boyfriend she wants him to be. At each step, he gets relationship advice from Riker, Worf, Troy, Guinan, and Picard, and each has their own perspective on how he should proceed. <laughs> you notice a lot of these have a common theme? Oh, yeah. Data? Data. Yeah, and, and data is on data and Q. Those were kind of those are kind of the yeah, two yeah. the two comic relief uh, elements to the show. Coming in at number four, and I'm not sure I necessarily agree with this one, but I because I don't think it's necessarily humorous. But number four, Phantasms, season seven, episode six. I remember this episode very clearly. Data decides that when powering down for the evening, he shouldn't just monitor subroutines and go into low stasis mode. He should have dreams like humans. He therefore creates a dream fiction to do this, except that it malfunctions and he be begins experiencing nightmares instead. At one point, Counselor Troy is baked into a cellular peptide cake with mint frosting. And that's just the start of this bizarre of his bizarre hallucinations. Did we mention the rest of the crew starts eating the cake? It's definitely one of TNG's strangest episodes, but a riot to experience. Yeah, this one this one kind of rides the line between humor and horror. Yeah. In, in an interesting oh, indeed, way. Indeed. You know, there's if you look at it apart from the episode, there's all this strange weirdness that is kind of funny, but on then on the other hand, in the context of watching it, kind of horrific. Indeed. Coming in at number three, Manhunt, season two, episode nineteen. This one is great. 
Any episode featuring Troy's man-crazy mother is sure to bring the laughs, and with an episode titled Manhunt, you know to expect nothing but innuendos to split your sides. When the crew of the Enterprise-D escort two Antedian ambassadors to a special conference, they find that the aliens won't be the only life form they transport when they're forced to pick up a shuttlecraft. Out pops Luoxana Troy with special <laughs> orders from Starfleet to give her every diplomatic courtesy. She proceeds to wine and dine Captain Picard, who she has focused on during the phase, when middle-aged Betazoid females reach the peak of their sexual drive. It's worth watching just to see Picard skulk cautiously around his own ship, anxiously trying to avoid her. Oh my gosh, that is that is seriously one of the funniest episodes. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> and of course, Luoxana Troy played by... Remember? No, I don't. Majel Barrett? Was she... That's what I wanted to say, but I don't remember off the top of my head. I think I think it was. Well, you look that up. I'm going to go on to number two, and this is also one of my personal favorite episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Rascals, season six, episode seven. As the name implies, the episode Rascals pertains to a small group of misfit kids getting into trouble. Only this time, it's several members of the Enterprise crew. Captain Picard... Keiko O'Brien, Ensign Rowe, and Guinan return from the planet Marlea, uh, Marlonia when a transporter accident causes them to turn into 12-year-old children. The children still have their adult minds, and comedy ensues when a diminutive scrunch-faced Picard tries to give orders on the bridge, and a bratty Keiko O'Brien doesn't understand why her husband is acting oddly around her. He relinqu relinquishes command to Commander Riker, and tries to accept his newfound status while the rest of them come to terms with it as well. Now, this is one of those things that I I, I love that uh, that they have Guinan in this. And you remember the scene where uh, they are in their quarters and Guinan's like, you know what? I'm going to have a bit of fun. And she starts jumping on the bed and Ro is just staring daggers at her. What are you doing? I am jumping on the bed. Why are you doing that? Because it's fun. <laughs> and and then also with, with Captain Picard as a teenager trying to do his, you know, pull down the front of his jacket and, you know, being all official. I am Captain. I know I'm only 14 years old, you know. And then throwing the temper tantrum on the bridge <laughs> with the Ferengi. Daddy, Daddy, I want to play. I need now! <laughs> like, very much like a Veruca Salt sort of thing. And you can see how uncomfortable he is with it. Oh, the Picard temper tantrum is yes. classic. Now, 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 now! Now, now, now! <laughs> what do you want? I need to see my father. Go back inside. I need to see him right now. Do not argue with me. Go back inside. I need to see him now. Now, 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 now! Stop it, you hurt me! I want my father! And the Ferengi just being absolutely confused by all of it. Like, what? In this pre in preparation for this episode, I actually rewatched this episode because it's it's so much one of my favorites. Anytime there's kids, there's this one, and then there's the isn't there another TNG episode where Picard, uh, where it's Captain Picard Day, and he, oh, he yes. gets and like the ship is taken over, and he's with some a group of kids. 
No, that that was this one. That was this one. It was taken over by the Ferengi. Right, right. Or are you thinking... thinking Oh, yes, yes, I do remember. Picard is stuck with kids. And Picard... And and, and, uh, 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 part of the dramatic thrust of the episode is how uncomfortable Picard is with kids. Yes, yes. And there's that scene... I'm trying to remember the, the, the episode, but they're in the turbo lift, and he has to climb up out of the turbo lift, and the, the, he uses fiber optic cable as kind of a climbing rope, and he teaches the, the kid Frere Jaca. Yes, yes, I yes, do yes, that. yes, 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 I remember the Frere yep. Jaca, yep, exactly. All right, coming in at number one, the top ten funniest Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, according to ScreenRant.com, is The Royale, season two, episode 12. The Royale. When the Enterprise encounters debris from a NASA ship that's hundreds of years old, they are shocked it reached the area of space it did. Commander Riker, Worf, and Data investigate it on the planet where it crash-landed, only to find themselves entering the lobby of an old casino hotel called the Royale. Unable to communicate to the Enterprise, they discover that when the ship was contaminated by a race of aliens, its crew was forced to play out the pulp novel entitled Hotel Royale. Only when Data, Worf, and Riker start participating in gambling to buy out the casino, may they leave it. (laughs) I do remember that episode. I wouldn't say it was the funniest, but I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I don't know that it was the funniest, but uh, definitely, definitely fun. Yes. Definitely fun. Well, thank you, ScreenRant.com. So if you want to go visit... That website, we will put a link to what we just read to mm-hmm. provide appropriate credit where credit is due for uh, compiling that list of episodes and synopses for us. Uh, we'll put a link to that on our this episode page, as well as if you Google Star Trek, the 10 funniest TNG episodes ever, and you see a, a link of uh, a result from screenrant.com. <laughs> And now we come to our standard segment uh, at the end of every episode, our Wheel of Random Episode Selection, in which we will spin the wheel to determine what part of next week's franchise we will ask everyone to watch, if possible, because we will discuss that particular piece. Next week, we turn our attention to comic books, to superheroes, and more specifically to movies, with the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Phase 1. Specifically, Phase 1. If you know anything nerdy about the MCU, you know that the over the years, the Marvel Studios has divided their content into phases, referring to uh, uh, basically big chunks of their content that all feed together to create the, uh, the large-scale events that have become such a part of the MCU. So we're going to talk about MCU Phase 1, which is the first six movies in the MCU. So I'm going to spin the wheel, and we will determine which movie we are going to talk about specifically, in addition to our origin stories about the MCU in general. Oh, I am so excited! Jeremy, come look at what it is! What it says! We are going to watch... 
Iron, Iron Man. Man. The first, the original, the foundation, the cornerstone of the MCU. We are going to watch the the first Iron Man movie. So if you want to join us, do a wonderful rewatch of Robert Downey Jr.'s first outing as Tony Stark in the movie Iron Man for next week's episode. would like to thank you guys for listening to us and, and enjoying this time with us. And uh, if you want to drop us a line, you can reach out to us at feedback at twoguysandafranchise.com. For Jerry, that is F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K <laughs> at the little at symbol. Two guys in a franchise, T-W-O-G-U-Y-S-A-N-D-A. F-R-A-N-C-H-I-S-E dot com dot C-O-M or you can check us out on our website at www.twoguysinafranchise.com that's spelled out the same way and uh, I hope you all have a very nerdy week see you next time